Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. Hello and welcome to the IAB UK podcast. From the IAB, I'm James Chandler and this week's episode has been recorded to mark World Autism Awareness Week. And I got to sit down and talk to Roxanne Hobbs, who is founder of the Hobbs Consultancy. They are a brilliant organisation who deliver everything from leadership coaching to unconscious bias training, all with inclusion at its heart. And you'll hear it in our conversation, but Roxanne passionately believes in creating cultures where people can show up as themselves and harness the power of their diversity. We cover loads of ground. We talk about why awareness of neurodiversity is still lacking, what can be learned from other DNI areas like gender, and what exactly leaders should be considering when it comes to diverse teams and their return to the office. Roxanne also shares what led her into working specifically in diversity and what skills we might be undervaluing when it comes to neurodiverse individuals in our teams. Brené Brown, for those in the know, of course, gets a mention too. But I started by asking Roxanne what exactly it means to talk about someone who is neurodiverse. The word neurodiversity, I think, is still landing in in our lexicon, in our culture, and there's still debates around it. So at its simplest, it talks about the difference that exists in how people's brains are wired and how their brains are structured. So it might commonly include things like autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia. Some people might say even depression and anxiety Mm. fit in there. Some people might say acquired neurodivergence might fit in there. So a stroke, somebody who's had a stroke. Mm. Um, The piece I actually find really intriguing is this, can a person be neurodiverse? And it's so fascinating to me. So Judy Singer, who came up with the word neurodiversity, would claim no, a single person can't be neurodiverse because diversity is the property of a system. So that group of people can be neurodiverse, Uh, but an individual can't. But Nancy Doyle, who's another campaigner, um, she believes an individual can be neurodiverse because often people who have, say, autism tend to be super good at some things and find other things super challenging. So have this kind of neurodiversity within. Right. Okay. So there's no easy answer for Mm. what is neurodiversity. That's what makes it so fascinating. But I would say it's more than a definition. It's a momentum of people who are wanting to say, let's not pathologize this difference. Mm. Let's say that this is part of our evolution and it's part of what makes human beings fantastic. Um, So for me, it's that momentum and that campaigning energy as well. Yeah. You started in, you've worked in lots of big agencies, you've worked client side. What what led you to get into diversity specifically so yeah I was managing partner at Visium um I was pregnant with Leo and um it was when I was on maternity leave I was pushing him through the park in his little pram I was like <laughs> oh things are a bit tough for women in the advertising <laughs> industry <laughs> it's like literally the first time I had to have this thought <laughs> Um, but think back though, 2010, 2011, people mm. were not talking about diversity in the way that they're talking about yeah. it today. Yeah. And I thought, well, I've trained as a coach, I've worked as managing partner level, I can actually do something about this. So mm. I made the decision to set up the Hobbs Consultancy. And at the beginning, it was very much about the inclusion of women. Okay. Mm. Um, so then fast forward five years, and 
you know, I'd started talking about diversity and inclusion in the broader sense of the word and realising it's not the women that need fixing, it's the systems that need mm. changing and lots of people might have barriers in their way of showing up as themselves in the workplace. And then in 2015, I want to say, Leo got an autism diagnosis and I was totally stunned by it I mean I had did just totally hadn't seen it coming mm. and so on a personal level it was very difficult but then on a professional level I was like I haven't even talked about neurodiversity and all of this diversity uh, and inclusion right. work mm. I've been doing mm. I haven't mentioned this word and uh, there was some shame there and I set out to do something about that and that's what I've been doing since I guess using my platform as a diversity and inclusion consultant to make sure that this topic is is covered and included as well. Uh, and you should talk to us about Brené Brown as well. well. Well, maybe give us a little descriptor for those that aren't aware of Brené Brown uh, and her work. So Brené is a professor at the University of Houston in Texas. Um, she's made it her life's work to research courage, connection, vulnerability, shame. Um, I first came across her work in... I want to say about 2012, actually, I got given a ticket to see her speak as for a wedding present of mine. <laughs> it's just for me. It wasn't for my husband. It was a bit odd. Um, but I went to this talk at Conway Hall and I was like, oh, my God, this woman. And I was, it's like I'd had all these crazy thoughts going mm. through my mind and she articulated them beautifully with mm. research, backing it all up. And it's like, wow, I need to know more. So I found myself soon after on a plane to Texas getting trained <laughs> in her work and um gosh yeah I've just actually come off this morning running a dare to lead program because she's taken all of the work recently and taken it into organizations and asked what makes a courageous leader right um and actually do you want to hear a bit about that because yeah it's I mean, super I mean fascinating. and what does it what so so you get trained by Brene herself and, and then you get some sort of qualification or you're able to then go out and, and take her mm. work to different people yeah so I get I'm not allowed to say I got trained by her herself I right. have to say by her team got but it. she did give me a hug in it <laughs> it's on LinkedIn <laughs> um yeah you get certified in delivering her work so right. I can run her curriculums now and there's a curriculum for doing greatly there's one for dare to lead but mm. the the dare to lead stuff's fascinating actually in light of black lives matter and what happened last summer because when the curriculum was first put together it was very much what makes a courageous leader hmm. and it's quite hard isn't it to answer that question yeah um and her research found that actually it's not something kind of innate or god-given you know sometimes you think oh he's got it but he hasn't yeah. got it it, it yeah. isn't that it's yeah. something that's skills-based so it's observable measurable and therefore teachable. Oh. And there's four key skill sets. And what we found last summer on the back of the Black Lives Matter movement is these are the exact same skill sets that a leader needs so as to have hard conversations about race in their mm. organisation, hard conversations about diversity and inclusion, exactly the same skill set. So it's the ability to be with vulnerability. So to be able to tolerate uncertainty, risk and emotional exposure, skill set number one. Skill set number two, the ability to operationalize trust, like to know how do I create psychological safety? If yeah. trust has been damaged, how do I recreate it? Mm. The third one is about actually living values. So rather than just sticking it above the door, oh yeah, we're about people first here. We're about, we're very <laughs> inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> actually living it in the organization. 
and fourthly resilience that ability to pick yourself back up mm. again and if a senior leader is going to lean into a conversation about race that's what they need to be able to do they yeah. need to be the learner rather than the knower they mm. need to be prepared for really messing it up mm. being able to pick themselves back up again so yeah i find that super relevant now and super helpful for thinking about these really difficult conversations that we need to be having totally and, and maybe some of those comments we talked about last summer but the last 12 months more broadly you know leaders would have had to uh, adopt all four of those things like there's 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 no um there's no getting away from just from a mental health point of view even that you know leaders have been this group that have been all right because they've got a dedicated space to work and you know they're okay and they've got big gut you know and unlike other people so um I, I want to ask you about um lockdown from the point of view of people that are neurodiverse as well mm-hmm. how um how is that fair because we've all found it a challenge but particularly if you're someone with autism let's say what what additional challenges might you've been facing with what's just been you know uncertainty after uncertainty lockdown after lockdown you can do this now you can't do that the idea of not seeing people yeah really interesting so there is a saying i think it's stephen shaw who said this that if you've met one person with autism you've met one person with autism so what he means by that is autistic people there's a lot of diversity within that group yeah yeah Yeah, they're all very different from one another so i can mainly only speak from our experience here Hmm. so the 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 change has been difficult so to go into homeschooling out of homeschooling again Mm. that uncertainty has been really hard but um being schooled at home has been my he loved it leo loved it really because all of the stuff that he struggles with at school like the noise um perhaps some of the sensory issues Mm. um he doesn't didn't have to do and actually in school at the moment a lot of the stuff that he hates they're not doing anyway so they're not doing assemblies they're not doing big big noisy lunch hours they're not doing um school plays you know all of that crazy stuff around the edges they're not doing because of the pandemic so actually there's a lot more structure routine and quietness so there's parts of it that have been really beneficial for him and that's weird because my own my own bias goes to this must have been really tough for uh but that's that's just like a brilliant example of oh yeah actually some things would have been better because yeah there isn't yeah god yeah with um adhd my friend nancy nancy doyle she said right at the beginning of the pandemic that actually it was lifting her so ADHD is about a dopamine deficiency. So you're mm. looking for that stimulation. And she said the craziness that was happening, which for most people polaxed them, <laughs> for her, it brought her dopamine levels up to a manageable level. Ah. And she was absolutely thriving at the beginning of lockdown when most of us were totally yeah. overwhelmed and yeah, not yeah. able to put one foot in front of the other. Wow. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all incredible, isn't it? Um, you uh you say on the you say on your site i believe in creating more diversity in the workplace i believe that creating more diversity in the workplace is going to lead to greater creativity innovation and problem solving put simply we reduce the risk of groupthink mm. when you look at the ad industry do you think there's too much groupthink going on mm. yeah for sure yeah we've got we like to recruit people that are like us mm. don't we um 
and the the phrase jack of all trades i want i want a good all-rounder for that role yeah, please. yeah. <laughs> and i think that precludes us from mm. recruiting the the weirdness around the edges sometimes where that innovation and creativity can come from how, um, how, how do you go about getting it right rox is, is it you you need to go you need to recruit from different places you need to be looking out for different things i mean if you're if there's leaders or recruiters or hr people listening to this what what should they be doing if they aren't already to make sure you're getting that different kind of diversity? I think it's a structural issue before it's a recruitment issue. Mm. I think it's about if we could take, well, actually, there's one paradigm that I'd love to see the industry adopt, which is to, in terms of people's strengths, like take a strengths based approach. Mm. So rather than wanting a jack of all trades, think like that role requires someone with those strengths, or if somebody has those strengths, how can we create a role that really works for them? How can mm. people play to their strengths rather than focusing on all the time on the things that they're not good at, which should, by the way, would be good for everybody in the industry, yeah, 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 <laughs> not yeah. just good for the neurodivergent. <laughs> um, and then taking a more kind of open, vulnerable approach to challenge, like being able to say, right, this I really struggle with, mm-hmm. like making that more normal. This is what I struggle with. Um, can I have some support with this? So then if you create that a system where you're thinking about, right, strengths-based approach, individualized approach to challenges, then you can start to ladder that into recruitment and start thinking differently there. Leaders at the moment are thinking about getting back into offices. They've been thinking for 12 months about how you maintain culture, you make sure people are healthy, how you're supporting their mental health, things like that as well. When it comes to the next sort of iteration of whatever getting back to normal looks like are there specific things when you think about um people that are neurodiversity leaders will need to be thinking about in their business in terms of that it's gonna be a big old transition whether we go back five days two days three days but are there particular things they should be thinking about as we return in some way to an office or a a space with other people because that's going to be fairly chaotic i would think in those first three days i saw something on linkedin yesterday which is like don't expect anyone to do any work for the first three days right. they will just it's be... be really hard yeah. for everyone yeah really hard i'm slightly i feel slightly overwhelmed with the thought of going back into an office yeah totally. do you well yeah. yeah and everything that comes with it all the trimmings the commute the you know the queuing up for a sandwich and is that you know, just yeah. everything that goes with it weirdly the office yeah. might be the bit that's all right but yeah and then all the stuff around, well, am I going to be sat at home on a call when there's 10 people in the office in the same room? That's going to be weird because at the moment we're all sat at home. So it's like we're all kind of on the same yeah. level. So, yeah, there's loads of anxiety flying around about that for, yeah. for everyone. I think that anxiety might help the one to have a bit of perspective taking of what that's been like to be an autistic person going into the office mm-hmm. in usual times. Um because that's what they say to me that you know the commute is really stressful the not knowing what's going to happen in the lunch break is really stressful like the anxiety that we're just not used to feeling is what they've been living with Mm. um and they've been saying for a really long time look let me work in my own way let me work from home let me come in at different times and i think we're now seeing i know widened acceptance of that so i guess i'm saying listen to the individual, listen to what they want. And then on a systemic level, that hybrid working model, which I think we're working towards, 
which I think would work in the most part for someone that's say autistic we really need to make sure there's not new bias that's emerging there that the people in the office suddenly have these advantages and these people at home are kind of in the out group yeah So, so that's the big conundrum the biggest if i was a leader at the moment that's the biggest thing i'd be wrestling with how do we create an inclusive environment when mm. not all of us are in the workplace because if we're all at home like yeah, you say that's totally. easier yeah, yeah yeah yeah. but if some of us are there and then a few of us are dotted around that's really hard yeah to- to- totally totally right um i'd love to get your take as well on the you know there's obviously lots and lots of work very public work we've seen on things like gender for example uh, on, on gender equality a whole bunch of other stuff as well um uh, uh, around ethnic diversity uh, do you think there's there's bits that things that we've done in that, that that we can learn from that you can take and pick up and apply to when we're thinking about neurodiversity as well or, or does it require a, a totally new rethink I think there's loads that we loads of cross learnings actually mm. and I think actually I'm just remembering the first diverse minds conference that we did I think it was in your building wasn't it probably um, was the, the old Macklin Street the, building yeah yeah when the beast from the east was here oh god <laughs> oh god I remember poor old Ali as well yes yeah that so was this, that was ahead of its time, Rox, because that was like people go, coming in virtually and invite because yeah, they had yeah, to. <laughs> because of the snow. There was a guy, and I'm really sorry, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, who did a beautiful talk about the parallels between the LGBTQ plus journey and the neurodivergence, the neurodiversity journey. Mm. And he talked about like not existing, people believing it just didn't exist mm. um, through to it being named, through to people trying to, fix and medicalize it you know that time when it was like trying to cure so-called cure Mm. gay people um and through to now where it's celebration of your identity pride and you know pride in your identity and Mm. that same journey um going on for neurodiversity as well so yeah huge similarities and parallels there and i guess one of the big things for me is Let's not try and solve the problem by staying in our own silo. And mm. I think for people who are neurodivergent, this is hard because they've had people speak for them for a really long time. And, you know, obviously it's so important for them to have their voice and to get heard on different platforms yeah. at the moment. Yeah. And change is not going to happen unless the neurotypicals and the neurodivergent folk come together and talk with vulnerability with empathy with curiosity Mm. just like you know the gender conversation isn't going to move forward if men and women are just slinging mud at each other over the fence we've got to come together and listen so that's one of the big ones for me and i i I mean i've said to you before i I get scared talking about this topic sometimes because people have been irritated Mm. like well you're not neurodivergent what right have you got to talk about this topic yeah and i think it's for me it's well, I've got a platform because of the other work that I want to do. And I want to use that platform to bring in neurodivergent voices, but also to create the conversation mm. between those two groups that will help with the understanding of moving us all forward. Um, lastly, thinking about the digital ad industry specifically, it, it, what, what more can we do? I mean, we've got some of the biggest and best technology companies in the world, some sort of incredibly smart people, some really good problem solvers shouldn't we be racing ahead at this kind of thing yeah for sure um and 
I, I think it is racing ahead in lots of ways. So I've just <laughs> finished um, leading the judging for Genius Within. They do um, Neurodiversity Awards every year. Uh, and I nice. was like the head judge of that. So I got to see all these amazing entries for people doing really cool stuff. So one of the winning um, entries in the, I think it was the category was Neurodiverse Tech of the Year or Assistive Tech of the Year. There's these pens that um, scan the words oh, and read them out loud nice. to you. Nice. So scanning pens, that was one of the winners. And another one of the winners was this new re- reading technology where, God, it's really hard to describe without waving your hands around, <laughs> which you can't see on a podcast. It arranges the words vertically. And okay. it started off as trying to support people just to read quicker. But then mm. they've realized that for dyslexic people, that really helps them to learn to read. And dyslexic people using this reading technology oh, actually right. become better readers than perhaps a neurotypical person might naturally become. Wow. So I, there's some amazing stuff mm. going on in tech at the moment. So I just think more of that tech that can support those people who have additional challenges to um, have a more level playing field. Absolutely, that's exactly where the attention should be heading and there's some really interesting stuff coming yeah. out of that place. Sounds amazing. Um, thank you for giving us some time this afternoon. Um, j- just finally, what's what's uh, what's on the radar for you in 2021? Um, whew, 2021 <laughs> is... <laughs> it's been really interesting, James. Like, I think like a lot of businesses, last April I was mm. staring down the barrel of am I going to have to close my business? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then Black Lives Matter happened. Um, so that renewed interest in race conversations Mm -hmm. and what I'm seeing, which is the first time I've ever seen this is that those conversations have got longevity. They didn't just happen in that month or two, they're carrying on. So we've, we're very busy at the moment and it's (laughs) really hard not to be in that place of scarcity because of where we've been. Yeah. So I'm like saying, yes, yes, yes. So. we're busy um we produced some e-learning last year um so we're really really proud of that and we've got a deal with the um ipa they're helping us to promote it but we've, oh, there's one of those on neurodiversity so if you go to our website you can take a neurodiversity e-learning module and read that um but yeah a lot more e-learning type stuff and a lot more courageous conversations right. we're kind of seeing that in this two-pronged approach there's the head stuff you know the learning mm. and then there's the heart stuff we've got to come together and have these conversations and yeah. move through them together oh that's brilliant we're going to put the link to the uh, e-learning module we'll put it in the show notes as well roxanne thank, thank you. you so much for giving us some time it was brilliant no, it was brilliant no worries at all i've enjoyed speaking to you the iab uk podcast roxanne hobbs founder of the hobbs consultancy there there was so much great stuff that we talked about in particular how do you create uh, an inclusive environment when not everyone is physically in the workplace, as in neither all at home or all in the office? And that sense of being hyper aware uh, of not creating new biases when you go about that as well. And the bit that really hit home for me was when she talked about the anxiety that lots of us have been feeling. I've definitely been feeling as we've been talking more about returning to the office the commute the going out to get a sandwich at lunch just how you're going to be with everyone in the office uh, and that's exactly what someone who is neurodiverse has always been living with 
And that was just really profound when she talked about that. Uh, if you're interested, check out the link to the e-learning Rox talked about in the episode notes. And don't forget that all of the 40 or so episodes we've recorded since the start of lockdown last year, as well as four series worth of far more polished, professionally produced studio content from pre-2020, are all available on iabuk.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks very much for listening. IAB UK, building a sustainable future for digital advertising.